works this time around as of course this has been an extremely uh crazy and stressful experience to go through for some reason we were going live and then as we were going live just everything went haywire and um i don't know what happened i had to switch computers i think one of my computers is either done or compromised i have no idea what's going on uh, but we might be live right now on uh, Rumble.com. Yes, we are. We're finally live. We're just waiting for Jake Shields here for the debate that's happening here. I also sent this link to Clint Russell of the Liberty Lockdown podcast. He's also going to be calling in from his house as well. We're just waiting for Jake. As of course, now we are live, unedited, raw on Rumble.com forward slash we are change. And the first person to be here is, of course, the one and only Andrew Mayer, an incredible human being who, of course, I know for a very long time, who worked with us uh, with We Are Change. He was one of the editors when we were breaking the spirit cooking stories, when we were just absolutely on a tear as an independent media organization doing incredible work. Andrew, for the people who don't know you, who are you and uh, what? Uh, how else would you introduce yourself to everybody? I'm probably best known for questioning Senator John Kerry. Uh, John Kerry, for people that don't know, is the man that ran against George W. Bush for president. And Kerry was saying that he wanted to end war. And actually, it turned out uh, Kerry and the Democrats were for war. And I was questioning Kerry because I didn't realize when I voted for him how much he and the Democrats were the same as the pro-war Republicans. So if you've ever seen the Don't Taze Me Grow video, everybody remembers the quote of Don't Taze Me Grow. But what they cut out of the media is me questioning John Kerry, why didn't you try to impeach Bush when Bush at the time was trying to start a war with Iran? Bush had already started war with Iraq. He was in war in Afghanistan. But Bush was trying to start another war with Iran. And I was questioning Kerry, why aren't you trying to stop this? And so... Uh, that's me. I, I've been against um, these wars for profit, these needless wars for, you know, almost two decades now, uh, two decades now. And um, and I, I think people don't understand in America how much the system really on both sides, uh, they are driven by war, by the military industrial contractors and how much all the politicians on both sides are paid into this but uh i see jake just showed up so i don't want to yep. bogart go ahead, go ahead yep. jake no yeah, not at all. Jake, jake who are you for the people who don't know you i think a lot of people know exactly yeah. who you are but but for the few people who don't uh how would you introduce yourself yeah uh jake shields a former uh former ufc fighter mma fighter five-time world champion um mostly known for fighting but in the last couple years i started uh just kind of shit posting and ended up getting kind of big on Twitter too. So I guess I'm getting known for a little uh, political commentary out of nowhere, but that's not really uh, my main thing, but that's a little, that, that's more of a, a fun side thing. So. Both of you guys are, are people that I know. Both of you guys don't hold anything back. You guys kind of contacted me and said, hey, this should be a really interesting conversation. This should be a really interesting debate. As obviously, we were just discussing before with, with Clint Russell how this latest development inside of the Middle East has a lot of people tearing each other apart. Now, I don't know if that's going to be happening here or not, but I think we definitely need more conversations to what's happening right now. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. I think there's a lot of misinformation. So to kind of start this off, we are originally were going to be on YouTube. YouTube, and then just everything went kaput. So we're on Rumble right now. We could say whatever we want. We could get into whatever topics we want to start off this debate. Who's right here? Is it Palestine or is it Israel? Who wants to take it first? Um, 
I, that's such a complex question, but I'll go. It's, I'm not going to act like it's easy. So we're going to, you know, that's the whole debate is probably going to be an hour going over that. So it goes, you have to go into the history and all that, which I don't think we do the history right now. So I think, uh, well, I just start off by stating what my, um, what my view on the war is. My view is America to stay out of it. I think we should not be funding Israel financially. Definitely not military. We're, we're, we're protecting them. We're saying we'll go to war with Iran. We'll say if anyone attacks Israel, we'll, we'll defend them. I think that's a big problem. I think that's why Benjamin uh, Netanyahu is being so bloodthirsty. He's just bombing relentlessly, killed over 10,000 people now, thousands missing. It's brutal. I don't think anyone, if you're watching those babies and not being disgusted, you know, so, something's wrong with you. You're a sociopath. Same thing with October 11th. That, that was disgusting. But you can't just be because something happened on October 11th, you're going to commit a genocide of an entire people. And that kind of seems, to me, it seems like what he's trying to do. Not fast, because he knows the world won't allow it. I think he's trying to cause such hell in Gaza and cause so much death that they get that they flee. And they end up going to, you know, he doesn't care where, America, Europe, Egypt. He's trying to just get them out of his country. He's a, um, he's a hardcore Zionist. And to me, I think he's trying to take over uh, all of Israel. So that's that's kind of my view. America should stay out of it. I think if we did stay out of it, is what would happen is he would need to call ceasefire because otherwise he'd be attacked by Iran, Hezbollah, Lebanon. So he'd be forced to cause a ceasefire. And then he'd have to start negotiating with Hamas and maybe uh, maybe work towards some kind of real uh, two-state solution, something he's not trying to do. And Andrew, do you have any counterpoints to this? Because I think Jake brought up some very interesting points here, specifically when it comes to um, what's been happening right now with the political career of Benjamin Netanyahu, who even according to the mainline corporate media, his his, his whole security in, in politics is on the line and he's probably going to be ousted if this war ever ends, which a lot of people are now saying, well, maybe he's going to prolong this war so it never ends. So he keeps himself in that position of power. Do you agree or disagree with any of those statements? And do you have any kind of counterpoints to what Jake just brought up? I have no counter at all. I don't disagree with any of that. And honestly, I think Netanyahu, if you look at his history, um, every time he's in trouble politically, it seems there is uh, political strife. There is an attack on Israel that secures his uh, premiership, his prime minister seat. So I think he's been very open about actually supporting Hamas. He wants there to be radicals in Palestine so that uh, he can take counteraction. And I think that's part of the issue is um, I, I believe that he allowed the attack to happen. There's no way they have every single piece of intelligence that the Mossad has, that Israel has, and that they didn't see all these people uh, paragliding into Israel. I don't believe for a second that they didn't know this was going to happen. So I think they allowed it so that they could counterattack massively and try and, uh, as you say, uh, take more land um, from Gaza. Now, the, the thing I wanted to start with is to say that uh, collective judgment is wrong. So Hamas indiscriminately killing people in Israel, that's wrong. That's collective judgment. You live in Israel. Therefore, uh, we can kill you. And I think Israel indiscriminately bombing is also wrong because uh, I don't think that their bombings are targeted. We haven't seen any of the intelligence to say what justifies any individual uh, bombing of a certain building. But I think the whole measure, if you look at things, I don't I don't believe at all that it's very targeted. I think um, Israel's even said they're fine with mass casualties. So I think it's not targeted and it should be because collective judgment is wrong. And and the, the one thing I, I really wanted to add is that Israel, like the United States, like Hamas, has a government pursuing war. Now, the people need to change. The government is pursuing war, 
because that's the collective desire of the nations. We need to promote ideas and people that spread love instead of the desire for war. So collectively hating Israelis or Palestinians or Jews or Muslims, all of that stuff pushes us towards war. The globalists that are puppeteering everything, uh, they're Satanists and they want war. They make money from war. And we need to be all as humanity for peace and not for pushing hatred of anybody. Yeah, man, I strongly agree with all that. It's uh, it's great points. It's uh, you know, it's not. There's been so much hate versus both Muslims and Jews. And you know, I need I need to be better myself. It's uh, I definitely don't hate Jews. A lot of my best friends are Jews, but I need to be careful how I word things because I don't want to be driving this hate. And you know, and it's, it's both sides. There's been attacks on Muslims, Palestinians killed. It's terrible. This war is driving so much hate. And like you said, it's uh, the Benjamin Netanyahu seems just like a war hawk. That's uh. That's not good. And like you said, with um, the attack, it's really suspect. I believe you've been to Israel as well. I've been to Israel. It's a small country, military everywhere. The most secure borders probably in the world. So if these guys, you know, Egypt also leaked intelligence and they come through attack. I don't know if this is correct, but I heard it took several hours for the military to respond. That seems, if true, it's absolutely insane. It seems like, uh, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu was extremely unpopular at the time. He has the war. Every, you know, everyone knows when you're in a war, your people rally around, rally around you. So to me, it seems, I mean, we both agree, it seems deliberate. And he's a big problem. He's he's causing pro- He's the one that's turning the hate against Israel. And, you know, people need to make sure not to turn their anger against Israel, against Jewish people. Uh, very good 100%. points here. As, as, of course, this attack is also very convenient for, for Benjamin Netanyahu, who, of course, was facing an ouster of his entire political career right before this major galvanizing event that changed everything. I think Charlie Kirk definitely asked some very pointed questions about the potential foreknowledge, the the kind of response to all of this. Clint Russell also just joined us here. He is the co-host of the show and had to deal with some of the technical difficulties (laughs) before we were actually able to get the show off. Clint just recently had a debate with one of my other friends, Ryan Black, on this particular issue as well. Uh, Clint, uh, just quickly introduce yourself and feel free to ask our two guests any questions you want as well. Well, I uh, I was just driving 125 miles per hour to get <laughs> from your your place to mine, so uh, I did not hear the the opening. But I'm very anxious to hear the conversation. I have also de- debated Austin Peterson, a former LP presidential candidate in 2016. Um, so yeah, I my my position is fairly well known. I am I am on the side of innocent civilians uh, because I have been over the past three weeks that that has framed me as being. Uh, more pro-Palestinian and, and anti-Israel. In, in some ways, I guess that's true just because I, I think that what Israel has done to the Palestinians has been horrific. However, I think that what Hamas did uh, on October 6th or 7th was also un- unbelievably horrific. So uh, my goal... Clint, try, my- to speak up, uh, try to speak up a little bit or raise your audio volumes if you can, because your audio is coming in a little low. And And by the way, you could have also called in through your phone. You didn't need to drive home. Uh, you, could have, you could have just FaceTime selfie this. But but to ask you, Andrew and Jake, what do you guys disagree upon? Because it seems like there's a lot of things that you guys agree upon, and and it's kind of good to hear, and it's refreshing to hear because a, a lot of people are, are, are very one-sided. It seems like war is the problem. Politicians are the problems. Governments are the problems. And uh, how do you solve this problem is kind of the bigger question that I want to ask at the end. But where do you guys disagree? How do you guys see some uh, uh, things differently? Yeah, surprisingly, we're agreeing on a lot more than I thought. So I don't know. We got, I guess we have to get some of the issues and see uh, where we start disagreeing. Um, one issue I have with Israel, I think they need to um, they kind of lie about their history and their founding. I think they kind of need to come to terms with that and kind of own up to the 
they did come in in the 1940s, you know, launching terrorist attacks. They took people, they drove, uh, you know, they drove a million people from their home, killed thousands. It was brutal. And, you know, what, what America was founded on brutalness. Almost every country was, but we all admit it. And the Jewish people, most of them are still in complete denial, lying about it. They, were, they just say it was always our land. Palestine never existed. So how are power you to make some kind of solution with people when you're not having to admit that you came and drove them from your homes? And another thing is, you know, if you look at um, this is something I was curious about, because I've always uh, viewed Jewish people as white, not Middle Eastern. So I, I went and Googled the DNA of it. And, you know, sure enough, most Jews are European descent, not Middle Eastern. So the, the claim of that being their homeland, I know there was obviously some people called Jews living there, but they don't have the same genetic line as most of the Jews that are there today. So to come and make that claim, this is our land seems a little absurd. At this point, they are there. And they've been there 75 years. So to say, obviously, they're not going to leave. But I think they need to first come to terms with the wrongs they've done and try to find some way to offer them a real a real solution, a real land, and, you know, maybe maybe some sort of reparations, something to make it right. Yeah, I think, uh, I think you make some good points. And the first thing I want to say to that is I, I agree people don't recognize how Israel uh, was conquered. Israel was conquered like every land was conquered on this earth. People don't recognize it. You're right. And something I want to point out, this is a book called uh, In the Service of the King. This is an anthology of teachings of the Ben Ishchai. This is a righteous. Every Orthodox Jew will recognize this is a Sadiq, a righteous Jew. <clears throat> this is what the Ben Ishchai said. He opposed the policy of displacing Arab inhabitants to make place for Jewish settlers. On the contrary, he stressed that even though we must continually wait and pray for the redemption, it must not be undertaken by force. So that's the Ben Ishchai that told the Jews, and um, he lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s. He told the Jews not to take the land by force. Obviously, uh, they did take the land by force. So what's to be done about it? Uh, you said two other things, um, ethnicities. So a Jew is a descendant of Yehuda. There's 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. And there's 12 tribes. Jews are descendants of Yehuda or converts into the tribe. So even if there was a Khazarian kingdom in Europe and all of them converted and became Jews, uh, we consider them Jews. I, their ethnicity uh, being something different, they're still Jews. And the fact is they are on the land. So a lot of people say they should all leave. That's unrealistic. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Americans drove out uh, Native Americans from uh, all the states, you know, the Trail of Tears. We're not suddenly going to give Florida, all of Florida to the Seminoles because they were driven out. But I agree with Jake that um, reparations are exactly what should be done. The Israelis are still treating the Palestinians horribly. They're not treating them nicely. Now, I understand security concerns. Oh, there was all the bus bombings in the 90s. They had the crackdowns on security. But at the same time, the Israelis need to treat the Palestinians with love. And that's this is why I wanted to do this uh, this talk. The place where I go and pray, you know, there's a there's a city in Palestine called Nablus or Jews call it Shem. And uh, Jews generally are not allowed there, but they were welcomed with open arms. The, the Jews where I pray, we were welcomed with open arms in the city of Nablus in Shem uh, and sang songs of peace with the Israel uh, with the Palestinians because we actually show love for the Palestinians. And there's an article about this on Electronic Intifada. Um, some uh, pro-Palestine journalist was very upset, actually, that, uh, that where I pray, we were allowed to go pray with the, we were allowed to go sing songs of peace with people in Palestine. She's very upset. 
but this is the only way forward. Like th there's an organization called Kids Creating Peace. Like where I where I pray, where I uh, pray, we we have a they created this organization, Kids Creating Peace. They take Israeli kids and Palestinian kids. They bring them to like a summer camp where they become friends. They learn spiritual principles. And at the end of it, they love each other and they start doing things like writing resolutions for peace, which was even once presented in front of the UN, these kids that wrote this resolution for peace. That's what the people need. The Israelis and the Palestinians need to love each other. And when they start treating each other well, instead of hating each other, uh, then we'll get to the, the reparations that Jake called for. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, this conflict is just driving more hate. You know, I've never seen so much hate between, um, you know, Muslims and Jews, you know, my entire life, maybe 9-11, but it's just the most hate I've seen. It's uh, it's sad to see. That's what you need. And a lot of guys, and it's probably a small percentage of the Jews and Muslims in, you know, in Israel, they're pushing the hate. But a big problem, too, is uh, what happens in the West Bank. You know, the West Bank settlers is absolutely ridiculous. If they're coming in, letting people take the still homes, the fact that this goes on and the government doesn't stop it, it's like... Uh, it shows they're, they're not serious with peace. And right before October um, 7th, I don't know the dates, I think early October, um, groups of hardline Jews were going into uh, Muslim prayer to mosques and cemeteries and desecrating them, running people, disrupting the prayer sections. I mean, obviously, this is a small group. You know, it's probably 100, you know, hardline Zionist Jews. But you have them doing this, and the IDF is not stopping that they're allowing them to do this. And this helped drive the hate that, uh, that pushed those attacks. Are you referencing Al-Aqsa? Um, I don't know what it's called, but I know they were coming in and they were um, disrupting uh, mosques and stuff, like literally about a week before the October 7th attacks. Yeah, my, my understanding is that the reason they named it the Al-Aqsa Flood was because it was the Al-Aqsa Mosque that uh, was being, you know, disturbed, <laughs> to put it lightly. Uh, are my levels okay now, Luke? Up, up your mic a little bit. Your mics are you're, you're very low. You, you sound you sound low T. Uh, <laughs> your conversation, it, 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 it's either sound you sound very soft. So uh, the higher the audio, the, the better we could go. But there's there's also some latest developments happening right now with the IDF allegedly admitting that they just bombed an ambulance because there was a Hamas fugitive in there. There's a lot of conversations, particularly about the actions of the Israeli government when it comes to dealing with Hamas, dealing with hostages, dealing with the innocent civilians, as even the United States today uh, with Anthony Blinken, the, the uh, secretary of state, came out and said, you know, Israel needs to do better to safeguard the lives of innocent civilians in that region. Do you agree with that, Andrew? Do you think their approach is, is right here? Do you think you would do anything differently when it comes to dealing with this um, issue of Hamas inside of Palestine? Yeah, I'm no general, I'm no military strategist, but it just seems to me that the bombing is more indiscriminate than it should be. It doesn't feel targeted. And obviously, I'm not looking at their intelligence. I don't have their information and what they're basing decisions on, but it seems to me that the bombing is indiscriminate. And I think that there's even a deeper plan. Like in the New York Times recently, uh, George Soros's kid came out defending Israel. That is so out of left field, if you understand. Like Soros and Netanyahu... These people were enemies. And now George Soros's kid coming out there and uh, defending Israel. And the Soroses are well hated by the right. The only people in America that are strenuously defending um, Israel's bombing campaign is the right wing. And Soros is hated by the right. So why are they having him come out and give these op-eds? To me, this is, the real deeper plan is the puppet masters, the Satanists, the globalists, they want you to hate Israel. Like the ADL wants you to hate Jews. The, the ADL makes money 
from there being extremists in America uh, doing attacks. That's their business plan. The globalists, the Satanists, their business plan is war. They want you to hate Israel. They want you to hate Jews. And so the overreach of Netanyahu, Israel going bananas, I believe it is to draw all of the other Hezbollah, um, Iran, all of the other forces in the region into war with Israel and then force America to get involved, force Russia to get involved. They want World War III. That's what they're doing. They're trying to create World War III. So uh, that's that's why I came on here and wanted to talk about this. And I've got more to say too, but uh, I think yeah, Jake I thought we were uh, I thought we were in disagreement, but so far we're pretty much on agreement with everything. So not really the debate I was expecting. I thought you were going to be hard. I thought you were going to be defending what Israel is doing, and uh, and you know, and I'm and I'm with you. I don't think Israel needs to not exist. I think they need new new leaders and do something to make it right. What Netanyahu is doing is just disgusting. It's indiscriminate vomiting. I think, like you said, I think he is trying to revoke World War III because America has been very clear that we'll fight on their side. And he's, he's making the bombing so bad that he's giving these other countries no choice. They're going to have to start coming in. And they already have a little bit. They've been shooting bombs. They keep acting like they're going to come in. At some point, I think they're going to. They're going to come in or they're all going to be dead. So it's, uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how, how close we are to a serious world conflict. And it's, you know, we don't want a holy war between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. You know, I, you know, wh why are we trying to reprovoke this? We had this in the past with, uh, you know, 9-11. I feel like the hate between Muslims and Christians and Jews was all of a sudden dying down. Now they're re-sparking it. I'm seeing racism again. It's, uh, it's terrible. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll call a ceasefire and start working some kind of solution. But I think, unfortunately, another problem I have with Israel, I think the amount of control they have over U.S. politics, you know, this is something I was kind of unaware of. Then I went down the rabbit hole of like APAC and this type of stuff. 97% of the um, of the APAC choices win their candidacies. That's the Jewish lobby. So why is uh, why is an Israeli lobby so strong in, a, in America? Also, why don't they have to register as a foreign agent? This is stuff that I didn't even know until recently. I started going down this rabbit hole and I, I see why we give you know unconditional support to Israel. It's because the politicians are paid. Let's try to steal, man, this argument. And I and I want to kind of get into some of the corporate media talking points when it comes to all of this, because there's a lot of other people arguing that Israel needs to defend themselves. They need to overreact. They need to go after all these people because these people are a threat to them and their livelihood and their future. What do you guys make of that kind of corporate media talking point that we're, that we're seeing right now saying, hey, Israel's justified to do whatever they want because their entire lives, their entire safety is at risk here. Do you agree with that talking point or do you disagree with that talking point? I think it's just going to cause more hate. George, go ahead. <laughs> or, yeah, no, I think it's going to cause more hate. It's not going to get rid of Hamas. I mean, look at these kids getting bombed. Do you think it's going to make them turn against Hamas? It's going to make them turn further Hamas. They're not going to, you know, get their family blown up and then like, oh, I love Israel. I want to work something out. And the rest of the Middle East, they're watching this. They're starting to hate Israel more. You know, they're, they're, there's all kinds of peace deals that were getting put together in the Middle East between Israel and these other countries. Now they're all up in air, you know, like, look, they landed a plane in Dagestan. The people rushed the plane. That wouldn't have happened, you know, a week before. So you see all this hate is just being driven between the Middle East and also America because we're backing we're backing them. So we're backing them against all these other countries. And why this hap why this is happening? Our borders wide open. So some of these countries you might be going to war with, Iran, Lebanon, these guys are walking across our border and we're sitting there stoking a war. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like they want a terrorist attack, rather they're hoping what will happen or do it themselves. But it feels like they're trying to pull us into a serious global conflict. The Israeli government is endangering the safety of its own people. As Jake pointed out, look at the plane landing in Dagestan. The Israeli government is endangering the safety of its own people and world stability with the overreach, the way they're can conducting their bombing campaign in Gaza. 
People are not in support of it. It's making people hate Jews. And this is something that uh, my rabbi, my spiritual teacher, Michael Berg, shared recently, just on Shabbat. Um, and actually, before I share that, I'll tell you. Rav Ashlag. Rav Ashlag is, th this is the Zohar, okay? This is the soul of the Torah, the soul of the Bible. Um, the Zohar was said by Rav Ashlag, who founded where I study. Rav Ashlag is another Sadiq, righteous. His essays are on Chabad.org, universally recognized by the Orthodox as a righteous. Uh, he said that there was a black cloud over Europe in the 1930s, and that the only thing that would prevent uh, a horrible tragedy, a catastrophe, was the dissemination of this book, the Zohar. Okay, my teacher Michael Berg just said this last Shabbat that the the current state of the world, if we're not, if if Jews like me are not out there telling people about the Zohar, about this book that there is the opportunity for a catastrophe even worse than 1930s Germany, okay? The world war that they're trying to pull us into, that's that's real. That's what they want. But it's also an opportunity for us. This crisis, they're not letting it go to waste. They created it. They want war. We shouldn't let it go to waste. We should use it to bring Muslims, Christians, Jews together, find common ground, and find the place of love. And this book, the Zohar, the Renaissance, the Renaissance was sparked because Christians and Jews were studying this together. The Zohar, it's the name of one of the, the Muslims' uh, afternoon prayer, the Zohar prayer. Okay, there's there's a lot that Muslims, Jews, and Christians have in common. We don't need to be fighting. Remember who the real enemy is, and it's not Israel, it's not Palestine, it's the puppet masters, it's Satan, and it's his Satanists that want us all to go to war. Yeah. Those are nice words, but how, how do we make that happen when we have crazy individuals on both sides saying we just need to wipe all of them out? How do we deal with this kind of cycle of violence and war that there seems like there's no going back from? What's the solution here? How do you deal with this issue that, of course, is spiraling out of control? And uh, let's be honest here, probably going to lead us to a new world war. I think that the issue uh, are my levels OK now? You guys sound all right to speak yeah. up louder. Just, just, uh, just all right. Scream. I'll speak loud. All right. Um, I think that the issue is that, uh, you know, Jake's exactly right. Actually, Andrew is too, that this is going to create more hate because so many of the, the innocents are dying on the Palestinian side over the past three weeks. I think really in any, uh, you know, intractable conflict like this that has spanned decades, it requires one side to offer an olive branch when you don't expect it. Because in the moment right after the Hamas attack, I think it would have, it would have been very powerful for Israel to approach the negotiating table in a sincere fashion uh, because they were obviously the ones that had been aggressed on most egregiously in the immediate history of this conflict. I think that that would have presented an opportunity for them. I know I'm asking a lot, but I think that that's the issue is that we're in this tit for tat back and forth where each side is justifiably agreed or uh, aggrieved rather. And, and we can't ever get them back to the negotiating table. And let's be honest, Netanyahu has not been interested in negotiating his entire <laughs> tenure. Um, and I think that ultimately his failures, particularly in allowing for the attack to happen, because I am convinced that he did, as Jake mentioned, it was actually almost seven hours before any serious IDF forces were, were on the ground fighting Hamas. I don't, I don't buy that, not, not on the no. most technologically advanced, one of the most highly guarded borders on earth. And it takes you seven hours to respond. There is some 
something amiss about this story. And my belief is a strong one that Netanyahu very much wanted, his Likud party wanted this conflict to happen. Uh, I'm not saying that it, that he actually orchestrated or anything like that, but I think that they did allow it to happen much as the United States allowed Pearl Harbor and arguably 9-11. Yeah, no, if it was seven hours, it's just insane because it's uh, Israel is so uh, so heavily military. Like Andrew has been there as well. There's military everywhere. The whole the whole country you probably could drive across in seven hours not to make you know, obviously they're gonna come in helicopters so that's uh it, it doesn't make any sense it seems clear that he allowed it to happen because he wants he wants this war and it seems like he's trying to drag us into a much bigger war i think netanyahu was not only um allowing the october 7th attack to happen in israel i think he was part of the planning of 9-11 i think the saudis the bush administration and netanyahu i think those are the guys that did 9-11 and, you know, I did a debate a few years ago where I was saying that, oh, Israel, it's, it's not a threat right now. There's there's no issue. We should be focused on things like China and uh, all of the uh, goodwill or lack of attention because the wars had been so uh, over the Middle East wars. Netanyahu said, no, 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 we, we need to do more. We're, we're going to cash this in this uh, this lack of war. We're, we're going to do another one. You know, so uh, Netanyahu, um, I really I really find him to be as a. Uh, uh, despicable as George W. Bush. I hope that uh, Israel finds itself a righteous leader. You know, not that I think Benny Gantz or, or is something like that. The people need to change. The character of the people needs to change and become more righteous. But that's as true in America and in Palestine as it is in Israel. Do you agree with yeah. the assessment that it's colonialism that we've been witnessing, where they're they're continuously settling into land that is illegally occupying their their territory or or are you of the belief that they ultimately have a claim to that land that justifies the what i believe is clear theft well the zionists themselves the early zionists called it colonialism that's their words so right. i don't know why anybody would argue with that well, uh, a lot of people are <laughs> so i'm just yeah. saying it where you where you stand on this you know well individuals mm -hmm. like you know ryan black that we had on the show here before said hey they lost the land they got conquered uh, they won and they deserve that territory because just like every conflict in history you fight the winner gets the spoils so what do you make of that argument saying hey they fought for their land and now they have it and now they clearly are uh deserving of it and they don't have to do anything to the uh, other population that's there what I, what I tell people is if you look at uh, American law, for example, there's statute of limitations. If somebody stole your house 75 years ago, you're not getting it back. There's just it, it can't happen. It's probably changed hands many, many times. There's no way to get it back. So I would say to focus on the claims of the last 10 years, because you can still find, for example, clear title. They haven't uh, bulldozed the, the house and maybe built new complexes where the ownership is not clear. Um, the, the claims of the last 10 years, it's possible that reparations can be done that way. People can get back their houses of the last 10 years. But to go back 75 years, like I said earlier, it's not done. The Seminoles are not getting Florida, and um, the Palestinians are not going to erase Israel off the map. But the and, Seminoles are 100-plus years ago. Many of these people from 75 years ago are still alive. I, I think if you're going to try and, and you know, extinguish this flame of resentment and, and justifiable grievance, you have to address the people that if they—I mean, if you, if you still have the keys to the home, if you still can show title, regardless of how many times it's changed hands, especially if you're still alive, which in, in this case some of these people are, I just think that that has to be addressed. If you only deal with a decade, you're still going to have this terrorism issue. At, at least that's my opinion on it. I don't know what to tell you, but both sides have to come to the table. 
you know, if you if, sure. if you're thinking, you have to think about the Israeli mindset and the Palestinian mindset. Of course, the Palestinian mindset give us everything back. That's what they want. The Israeli mindset is they're going to take even more. Right. So the middle ground is not we're going to give you back everything. That's that's not going to happen. And the last time Israel had a prime minister, uh, Itzhak Rabin, when I was a little kid, I was very sad. Itzhak Rabin was shot because he wanted to give so much land back to the Palestinians. So you have to think of what's feasible, what's real. It's not practical or pragmatic or a path to peace that to say everything that happened 75 years ago, we're going to undo it. That's going to create more hatred. What's going to create more peace is something in the middle. And 75 years ago is not practical or pragmatic at all. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they've taken so much land. They got to give something back because now it's suffering. It's just, it's just the Gaza Strip is so tiny. West Bank is just shrinking and shrinking. I don't think I don't think 10 years is enough. I don't know the exact time period. I'd have to study and see when they've taken what land. But clearly they have to give a little more back. Another big problem is, you know, the way the way it was done up with the Gaza Strip isolated from uh, from the West Bank. That makes it really, uh, really tricky and difficult. So I think, you know, they might have to figure out some kind of way to give some land back. I know they don't want to do that, but I don't think, think there's going to be peace otherwise. Yeah, I mean, it's almost a, like a three-state solution, but two of the states have no autonomy. <laughs> like, that's mm -hmm. kind of how it is structured at this point, where you have West Bank and Gaza separated from one another. I, I mean, is there a nation on Earth that has a gap in its borders like that? Not not that I'm aware of. Not, so, not that I'm aware of. Yeah, so I, it just seems... Well, I, I guess we have, we, have, we have Alaska, but that's completely different. Yeah, that's true. Before Bangladesh was a nation, I believe it was part of Pakistan, and they were separated that way. Just uh, okay. Well, I'm just saying it, it because of the enmity between the two sides. It seems extraordinarily challenging to expect to find peace if you can't have serious borders, and if you have your territory, you know, split where you're basically on on each half of Israel. Um, I just don't see how this is going to be a sustainable path to, to peace. It, it does it does strike me that you would almost certainly have to give a contiguous landmass that, that they could actually create some sort of autonomous state, because at this point, they don't have that. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that there's not going to be any kind of peace deal here. First of all, uh, before getting into the, the larger question that I have for everyone here, shouts out to uh, Rumble for putting us on the front page. Really appreciate all the great, amazing people behind this platform that allow us to actually have a real conversation without any limits, without any kind of restrictions. We were talking before the show. We were going to have a portion of the show on YouTube, and I was like, all right, guys, fucking hell. We can't talk about this. We can't talk about that. We can't talk about murder. We can't do any of this shit because the algorithm will hit us, fuck us up, and destroy any possibility of, of having a, a kind of clearer conversation about this issue. We don't have to worry about that on Rumble. Rumble, thank you so much for putting us on the front page, uh, sharing us with everyone out there. As, of course, uh, there was a little bit of miscommunication. They were promoting the old link. Now they're promoting the new link, so it's out there for everybody to, to go out there. But let's be realistic here. Let's be pragmatic here. There's no fucking peace happening here. I don't see no. any way that that Israel's going to come to the table, that the Palestinians and Hamas are going to come to the table and they're going to be like, yeah, now we're going to sing Kumbaya and hold hands. That's not going to happen. Disagree. Here. I disagree with you entirely. Uh, I, I, I just, be, before you, but let me, let, let me just finish my point here. What I think is going to happen here, this conflict's going to going to expand. It's going to kick out a lot of the Palestinians. I think there's going to be a refugee crisis inside of Europe, inside of the United States. I think there's going to be uh, peacekeepers that are going to be moved into the region. And eventually that region is going to become Israeli. Um, and therefore, it's going to bring us on the brink closer to World War. I think that's the possibility of what's probably going to be unfolding here. Do you guys agree or disagree? Andrew, I think you disagree. Yeah, I don't think that um, continued war is the only path forward or that they could the two sides couldn't come to the table 
And actually, I liken this to the situation in 2015 with Syria. Obama wanted to go in and bomb Syria in 2015. He made his intentions known. And social media pushed back. People said, we don't want this war. And therefore, the war didn't happen. Obama, yeah, he did some covert campaigns in Syria. But all-out war in Syria was canceled by people just not agreeing to it. They need our consent for war. They need us to go to war. And if we as Americans, America is the backstop for Israel. If we as Americans are saying, we don't want you to continue this war, Israel, we're not going to, if you happen to overreach so far that Hezbollah and Iran get drawn in, we're not going to get your back. They're going to have to stop, pull back and come to the table. So the people watching this have more power than they realize. You just not wanting war and saying, hey, Israel and Palestine, can you guys find peace? We don't want war. We're not going to war. It can be just like 2015 where Obama wanted war with Syria and it didn't happen. We can cancel the war. We have the power. Well, here's the issue, though. There was over 50 percent uh, polling uh, against across all political spectrums uh, that were saying they wanted to see peace negotiations. They wanted to see a ceasefire. And it didn't change the fact that Congress that same day that that poll came out, voted for $14 billion to go to one side of this war. I think that the, our, poli- our political class, which is what Jake was referencing earlier with the APAC contributions and things of that mm-hmm. nature, they don't, they don't actually listen to us unless it's so outrageously overwhelming they might consider it. If it's, if it's on the margins, if it's 55 60%, I'm talking GOP, 55-plus percent were still wanting a ceasefire. They don't care. So I, don't, I, 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 I like your optimism, but I'm not sure you're right. Well, yeah, no, it's unfortunate. Is- That's, that was my issue with the um, APAC, the Israeli, um, the, the Israel uh, lobby. They have so much power over our politicians, and it's not Republicans or Democrats, it's both. They have complete control of both. And the Democrats are actually far, I think 80% of them want a ceasefire, but Biden's not doing it regardless. That shows he just doesn't care, 80%. And then um, I'm extremely disappointed with, you know, with the, with the so-called right-wing influencers. They all jumped on. We, they were all claiming they were anti-war Ukraine, anti-war this, America first. And as soon as this war jumped out, they all just jumped on the bandwagon of pushing Israel, Israel, Israel. It makes me think a lot of these guys are paid. And you see these politicians, they're 100% paid because you can look up and see that APAC supports them. So that, that's why they, they get what they want. So we need to, it has to be so far against them. It has to be like 90, 90% against them whether they get voted out. But it's hard to vote them out when all sides support the war. You know, I look at voting for president. Joe Biden supports it. Um, Trump supports it. DeSanto supports it. Uh, Kennedy supports it, who was Mr. Anti-War. And then all of a sudden he switched on Israel. Seems a little weird. But I guess then we did see him. Uh, he was with Epstein's Island and stuff. So that might explain it. Things like that. You just see how every guy, when it comes to Israel, they all want war. I don't agree that it's just the politicians. And this is why I'm saying the people have the power. You, d- Laura Loomer is a friend of mine. Laura Loomer is saying things like glass Gaza. And there is plenty of Republicans saying similar things. They want war. And on the uh, pro-Palestine side, you can find the video of pro-Palestine supporters beating up a guy in Chicago just because they were helping an Orthodox Jew to his car. Like the the pro-Palestine people want war. The pro-Israel people want war. And that's in America, too. So I don't agree that it's just the politicians. The politicians are the amalgamation of our energy. If we want war, there will be war. If people want peace, there will be peace. The issue is the people want war, not just the politicians. The people want war. And people need to stop wanting war. People need to want peace. 
I don't think the majority of us do, though. I think some do. I think it's true. Some are war hungry. There are, you know, people like Laura Loomer and Ben Shapiro, Shapiro that are just like genocide, genocide. But I think the majority of people, they're calling for a ceasefire. I think it was like 60 some percent, 80 percent of Democrats. That's Biden's vote. That's his base. And he's still not pressuring Israel. America can pressure Israel because if we say, hey, Israel, we're not supporting you. All of a sudden, Iran tax them, Hezbollah tax them. They're going to have to ceasefire or a full-on war. But why are we going to go fight their war for them? I think we need to step back and uh, let Israel fight their own war. That's the well, one thing that will change their tune. They're being forced exactly, because they have is, our, our backing. This, this is, is exactly the United why... States just, by the way, approved $14.5 billion in the military aid package that there's going to be very little transparency and accountability for, uh, for particularly Israel. So the United States has already, I mean, the United States already, con Congress doesn't represent the American people, just no. said, hey, you know what? We're broke. We're printing more money. We're going to probably deal with some significant ramifications when it comes to inflation. But fuck it. We got more money for war. Here it is. And uh, I just think that's the wrong approach to take here myself. Well, and keep in mind, too, that Mike Johnson was just put into the Speaker of the House position a week ago. His very first motherfucking priority was this aid package to Israel, explicitly stated. He said above everything else, that was his number one priority, and it was passed easily, easily. And and that's, and that's in contrast to the 60% of people that want to see a ceasefire. So our politicians are not listening to us. I agree with you, Andrew, that there are some people in America that want war. Even and, and many, many people, the foot soldiers for the left that that view this as a uh, oppressor versus oppressed thing, and they really are are viewing Israel as like uh, the embodiment of the American empire almost, and they want to see that crumble, so they want to see Israel crumble. I agree with you. There are people that want war. I do think it's a minority of the population, whereas the political class very, very much wants war, and I don't know how we get past that. You know yeah. what? This is this is something I wanted to bring up. I didn't I didn't uh, think about the fact that you were going to be here, but Luke asked, "What are our disagreements?" And I saw Jake retweeted something that your buddy Top Lobster had to say. Okay, Jake asks, "Is is this true?" Top Lobster tweeted out quotes from the Talmud that they're not real. They're not real. And he asked, and your your buddy Top Lobster pushes hatred against Jews on a regular basis, all right? So people want war. The people that are adamant Zionists, like Laura Loomer, they want war. And there's a lot of people that really have a problem with Jews, and they want war too. Uh, people need can, to can I, they're, they're can the minority, I, though. They're the small minority. I don't, I don't, I don't, we'll see. We'll, what happens is we'll see. But th this is something I wanted to read specifically. Luke asked, "What are our disagreements?" I, I would like I would like you to address that. But let me just say real quick about Top. He he is actually married to a Jewish woman. Uh, much much of this is like inflaming maybe things. Maybe he because... his wife. I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> all but, but, maybe that made up the issue. My, Does my point anyone is... really like their wife? Is the real question. <laughs> I love my wife. That that, that, I love that my explains wife. why he hates but Jews. His his real his real issue is with Zionism. It's not so much with with Jews or Israel for that matter. Uh, if you were actually able to have a long form conversation with them, I think you would understand. You probably but see things what... more similar than you'd imagine. No, because I've been telling him for a few weeks now. He keeps putting stuff out about the Talmud. The Talmud is not related to this war. That's a book that Orthodox Jews read. Netanyahu doesn't even keep Shabbat. He might try and reference the Talmud and twist it the way That's the Westboro Baptist Church tries to twist the Bible. But he Netanyahu's not even reading that book. And this is something I wanted to bring up to uh, to that point. This is Likute Moharan. This is a book by Rebbe Nachman of Breslev. He is the uh, founder of the Hasidic movement, which is another word for basically just mainstream Orthodox Judaism right now. This is what he said. I want to read this whole thing, uh, one paragraph. 
the wise will understand on their own that the Gentiles in whose lands we currently reside are not like those who were in the time of the sages of the Talmud. The latter were idolaters who worshiped the stars and the constellations and were attached to all forms of abomination. They knew not God nor recognized his holy words. But the nations of our day fear God and honor his Torah, doing kindness and justice in their lands and charity with the Jews who take refuge under their wings. Heaven forbid that we should either say or write anything disrespectful about them. Thus, any reference to nations, Gentiles, and peoples of the world and the like refers only to those idolaters that live in the time of the Mishnah. The Talmud, if it's saying something that you think is evil about non-Jews, it's not even talking about anybody that's alive in this time. And I've shown that paragraph to Tob Lobster many times, and he doesn't care. And he keeps saying the Talmud says Jews are allowed to do this to anybody that's not a Jew. He keeps saying it. And I point out Tob Lobster because he is a representative of that type of mindset that is endemic. And Owen Benjamin talks about this. Don't hate the Jews, okay? Uh, the ADL is evil. People that want to steal houses in Israel, that's that's evil. But that doesn't mean you should have collective punishment. That's like bombing all of Gaza because some of Hamas went and killed people. Collective punishment in Israel. Collective punishment, hating groups, that is the issue. And there are people that are hating the Jews. Your boy Top Lobster is pushing hatred of the Jews. And there's many others. And there's many that are pushing hatred of the Palestinians. We need to find love, and if the people find love, we will stop this war. That's fair. Look, I, I'm not. I'm not here to defend Top Lobster. He's he's a shit posting lunatic. But um, you know, whether his quotes are, are accurate or not, I'll take your word for it that they're not. I don't know. I, it's not. It's not my. It's not my words. It's not my belief. If you've if you've heard my coverage of this story, I have I have very much emphasized how much respect I have for. Uh, the Jewish people that were, you know, pushed through uh, pogroms and and other sorts of persecutions uh, into, uh, you know, into the diaspora, and then to have the the will, the spirit, the the effort necessary to create their own homeland as a libertarian, that strikes me as a as a beautiful thing. The issue from a property rights position as a libertarian is that the land was not vacant, <laughs> you know. So so I see both sides of this, and uh, and you know. I'm certainly not interested in pushing uh, hatred towards Jewish people. I, I love Jewish people. So, you know, I'll leave it at that. Especially Jewish uh, women. <laughs> Especially the Israeli women. I, I can't hate them. I loved them when I was there. <laughs> but, but Tell us more, Jake. <laughs> yeah, I can't be anti-Semitic. I slept with Jewish girls. <laughs> I, I, I think that's going to be a new T-shirt design um, that we're going to be launching on the best political shirts.com. But 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 seriously, how do we you know reinvigorate something like an anti-war movement? Because the anti-war movement is is pretty much done. A lot of people are just fighting each other within different political spectrums. People who used to agree with each other are now fighting each other. How do you kind of get past all the noise, all the disinformation, all the psyops? Because there's a lot of emotional manipulation on on both sides. Uh, there's a meme that I shared here that I think represents what's really happening.
happening on social media. And it's the Palestinian side and the Israeli side, and they're both dangling dead children in front of each other, saying, look, look how horrible you are. And it's and it's and it's a situation where it's like, okay, if you're critical of either side here, you have another side just kind of jump down your throat. A lot of people saying, you gotta be on my side or else you're on their the murderer's side. Similar to what happened on 9-11. You're either with us or you're with the terrorist. And again, that kind of logic is stupid. How do you get rid of all that noise? How do you get rid of all that psyops? How, how do you deal with so much emotional manipulation to the point where it's like, okay, guys, let's just fucking calm the fuck down here and stop bombing the shit out of each other. How do we get that message across? Because I think we're doing a piss poor job because the only kind of way that these messages are going out there is is through Twitter. But but Twitter is more dominated with gore porn right now to the point where it's everyone's just jumping on their fucking uh, jumping down each other's throats. You would think Twitter would be a place where the, the more rational voice would kind of prevail here. But with my algorithm, with everything I see, I just see a, a bunch of fucking uh, gore that is absolutely devastating to keep seeing every single freaking day. How do we address that? How do we make an anti-war message more popular? As of course, right now, it's not really popular. I think one thing that we can do is have more conversations like this in places like spaces. I like spaces because it allows for audience participation. Everybody can come in and have their voice heard, at least for a stretch. And I think the more people are allowed to talk, to vet, to talk to people like me and Jake that seem to represent different sides, but actually we both want peace. I think the more conversations like this are accessible to people and people can join in, it builds the movement and we will get closer to peace. I think the yeah. reason that, that Twitter is not very beneficial for this process is that it's it's just focused on short form, form conversation. And this really requires long form discussion. Like it's mandatory. If you want to understand the, the justifiable grievances on both sides, it can't be 150 characters. Like it, it takes a real explanation. And well, well I, I do also agree with Luke that the, the gore porn has been horrific. From my vantage point, it has really uh, further entrenched my anti-war position because mm -hmm. I've, I've got to see both the Hamas attacks it, via, you know, uh, like head cameras and stuff like that, GoPros. Uh, and then I've also seen the bombing campaigns from the IDF as a response. And, and you see the amount of carnage on both sides, women and children and elderly. It's just so horrific. I don't know why it's not a more compelling argument to say, hey, taking a partisan stance on this is nonsense. We ought to be concerned with the loss of civilian lives. That's That's been my attempt. I haven't done a great job at it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've been, I've been tweeting, trying to spread the message, trying to, you know, most of my following is right wing and most of the right is majorly pro-war, pro-Israel. Uh, pro so I'm hoping to, you know, push them toward more, more of an anti-war slant. You know, I've, I try not to over-tweet the gore. I've, I've tweeted a few of them out because it's important people see some of the stuff. Uh, this morning I woke up with about 100 of them in my inbox. So seeing that was, uh, you know, I think I just tweeted one of them because it was by far the goriest morning I've ever seen today. It's, uh, I think people kind of need to know what's going on in the world. And um you know, it, it is hard. You, know, you need to have these conversations. You need to talk to people, let them know we, we don't want this war. The people don't want this war. So how do you win them over? How do we, uh, and how do we get the politicians? That's the most important part. And I think that goes back to APAC and the uh, Israeli lobby. I think they're the ones pushing a lot of these wars. And it's not the Jewish people. It's a specific lobby that's lobbied by the people like Benjamin Netanyahu and these war hawks. They're the ones funding it. They're the ones controlling the politicians. Uh, they openly, Benjamin Netanyahu tweeted out something openly bragging that he that he passed laws in 34 states where he can't, it doesn't matter what they do because we can't boycott Israel. Like, how is that not a big deal that the prime minister of Israel is passing laws in America so we can't boycott them? 
that's complete madness. We can boycott American states. We can boycott any other country. But because of APAC, they went in and controlled our politicians. There's also uh, conversations with Netanyahu talking about how, oh, he doesn't need to worry about America because he has control over us. So how do we take this control out? And I think it's we need to make APAC, uh, they need to register as a foreign agent. We need to, I mean, John Kennedy was trying to do that. He was in the middle of a full-on war with Israel over that and uh, trying to shut down their nuclear program, and that's when he was shot. Well, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. And, and what really disturbs me is that the, the right wing had been so adamant about no hate speech laws, hate speech or hate crimes. They were like, if it's a crime, it's a crime. We're not going to give these special categorizations. But as soon as Israel struck, now anti-Semitism, uh, you know, speech laws are very positive or are viewed very positively by the right wing and, and primarily the politicians. I'm very concerned that with the left wanting racist speech and Islamophobia uh, suppressed or censored, and now the right wing wanting anti-Semitism suppressed, I'm very concerned that we will start to see EU style uh, you know, hate speech laws that are attempted in this country. And I think that anybody that values freedom ought to see this threat for what it is. You know, you don't you don't defeat bad ideas by censorship. You defeat it with with better speech and, and open conversations like the one we're having today. I just pray that it's it's not too late because uh, the divide is is seems like an insurmountable chasm at this point. Yeah, well, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are openly talking about on the national stage implementing federal laws that would prevent people from the ability to express their speech and to boycott, of course, Israel. Now, again, when it comes to this region, when it comes to this entire conflict, we have some of the most ugliest, nastiest voices coming out. We have a lot of bigots. We have a lot of racists. We have a lot of hateful individuals from both sides coming out and spewing their nonsense. And sadly, these people are dominating the conversation. What do you think are, are, are some of the things that we can empower ourselves in our toolkit? What do you think are the most powerful talking points here? What are the conversations that, that we should be utilizing? What do you think we should be saying um, in, in order to, of course, make sure that more cooler heads prevail in this entire matter? What are some of the talking points that you guys found successful here that could potentially be utilized um, in the larger conversation that we're all having? I haven't found oh. one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm yet I'm yet to find one it, aside from the you know, I did a, a an hour long episode that was a solo episode where I just explained kind of my my outlook on the Palestinian grievances. But then I also laid out the Israeli side. And and I think that if you're if you're capable of having people listen for an extended period of time and actually demonstrating that you're not you're genuinely not taking a side in a hard fashion as much as like my priority is that America stays out of this. I think that that if if America were to withdraw its financial and military support from Israel, it would force the Likud party and Netanyahu to approach the negotiating table in a, in a reasonable fashion as opposed to the hardline fashion that they've taken as of late. Uh, the the issue being that the conservatives in this country uh, seem adamant that they're going to fund Israel no matter how egregious the the attacks on Gaza are over the past month. So I, I'm curious to hear if Jake or Andrew has any any path. Uh, I wouldn't say I haven't really found any good talking points when people over either. I've just been slowly trying to you know pu push the whole case. It's really hard on Twitter because it's uh, like you said it's 140 characters. So it's hard to win people over. I think it's you know a few people are slowly winning over, but it's a uh, it's a difficult task. I think we need to get to the politicians, and the politicians are uh, hell-bent on war. I think yeah, I, one thing yeah. that's overlooked is um, the Republican nominee for president is going to be Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a populist. He openly listens to the will of the people. You know, when he was criticized by Kanye West uh, for a stretch of time for not doing enough for January 6th victims, 
Donald Trump then gave money to January 6th victims. So he does what's popular. And we can shift the politics on the right much easier than is being talked about. Donald Trump said even recently that when he tried to broker a peace deal between Israel and Palestine, that Netanyahu didn't want a deal and that Abbas did. So Trump is willing to help bring peace, and he is the nominee for president for the Republicans. So I would say we are closer to a real peace deal than we've ever been. And obviously, even if Trump won, if he beat the fraud, you know, he wouldn't take office for a while. But the fact that that is the Republican nominee, he can make statements, we can influence him, that's huge. So if America First as a movement says, we don't want foreign aid for anyone, it doesn't create peace or prosperity anywhere, it's not helpful, all we're concerned about is uh, America, we want to build the wall here, we want to build America, we don't want war, we don't want to send our troops to war that doesn't help America. If America First movement, if MAGA movement is united in this mindset, we don't want war, and we're pushing Trump to make statements like that, we can actually win over our biggest representative. We can have statements on the world scale that matter, that have big ramifications. So I've said before, American involvement in World War One it tipped the scales, it wrecked Germany, it ultimately led to World War II and the Holocaust. America should not get involved in the Middle East and tip the scales again. It wouldn't improve the situation for anyone, including Israel. And the more that we can get this type of sense into the brains of, you know, uh, boomer conservatives and people that just, they don't understand the dynamics of what's going on. We can make a big difference. So I don't, I'm not black-pilled at all. I'm white-pilled. White shirt, white-pilled. We can win. We can bring people to God. Don't, don't be black-pilled, you black shirt, uh, Clinton. Well, I just think it was pretty disheartening when, you know, pretty much, what, 95% Republicans, maybe 100% Republicans agree we want strong borders. And instead, they did an emergency meeting to give money for Israel. It just shows you they don't serve us. I think we can make some difference with uh, public opinion because it comes to point, if we have too strong of something, they have to start serving us. But that shows you that they just they really don't care much about us. They care what their lobbyist pays them. And obviously, there's no lobby that wants strong borders, probably the opposite. There's someone that wants these open borders. Yep. And uh, I mean, Jake is approaching top 100 influencers on X. So, uh, you know, his his presenting the Palestinian side of this to a largely right wing audience, I think, has been really meaningful. Uh, I think it, it actually opens the door for other people that are in the actual America for, first movement to see, hey, it's OK for me to say this because they know, you know, Jake's not some. Uh, hardcore progressive or something crazy like that. So it's like, yeah, I, I think that that's that's what we need. The the problem that I've had is that of all the presidential nominees, Vivek and Trump were probably the ones most uh, most likely to not be hardline in support of Israel, and both came out and gave pretty strong signals that they were. Uh, now it seems as if Vivek is walking that back, and I and I hope that's the case because I I really think that if you really if you if you're concerned about Israel's survival. Because it really is existential for them, and I do understand that position. But if you're concerned for Israel's survival, you you have to draw a line and say, you cannot genocide the people of Gaza. You cannot. If you do that, you will open up 
Turkey and Iran and all of these big boys with serious motherfucking armies that will come for you. And and I know Israel's got nukes, so that means that then the whole world is put into jeopardy. This is a this is a very serious situation. Now I'll, I'll grant you, Andrew, I am not entirely blackpilled. I think that that because this is so gruesome on both sides, and because ultimately I think if anyone's thinking rationally, they can see where this is potentially headed, that you might be able to get people to realize, okay. This is a very dangerous path for all of us. We better we better reassess what we're doing, and I hope that's what happens here soon. I think that Trump had to make the statement he did recently. You know, he's still got an election to get through, so he needs what money for the general. Andrew, what was his statement? His recent statement? Yeah. He said something in support of Israel. I, don't, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was. Yeah, but, but, but Andrew, you got you to gotta understand, Donald Trump has called himself the most pro-Israel president ever in all of U.S. president history. Yeah, yeah. His policies have also brought us very close to war with Iran, as, of course, we were very close, very close towards a full all-out conflict. And Donald Trump's foreign policy, again, some people say it's, it's the best foreign policy. There's a lot to critique there, according to my own personal opinion, especially with everything that he did, arming the Ukrainians, bombing Syria, and, uh, of course, creating a tumultuous situation where we were very close to war with Iran. People don't understand just how close we were. Um, And if you look at the Republicans, by and large, they want a war with Iran. If you look at the Democrats, they want a war with Russia. Right now, we're in a very complex situation where we might have a war with both. We are in proxy wars with both. And um, that that to me is stupid because those are the number one and two biggest energy producers on the world stage. So for me, this doesn't make any sense strategically for the United States. And it might be even a deliberate sabotage of the United States. That's my kind of train of thinking of what I'm seeing here. What do you guys think? Trump's foreign policy absolutely de-escalated the, pol- uh, the possibility of war with Iran. When the White Helmets uh, did their uh, attack in syria and uh it was it was tried to be blamed on whoever was trying to be blamed on. they tried to bring trump into war with syria with that gas attack blaming it on assad okay when really it was a it was a psyop they were trying to get trump to go to war full out war take out assad and he didn't do it he didn't do it if trump was gonna escalate war with iran he would have Full out gone to war with Syria and he didn't do it. Trump's Andrew, foreign Andrew policy, you know, you know that he also bombed General Soleimani, who was fighting fucking ISIS, which we helped armed and fund. So it's like I, I agree with you. He wasn't like super pro war, but he also was doing some really antagonistic shit that we're very fortunate that Iran didn't respond from their general being assassinated with a terrible attacks against U.S. troops. Yeah, I think he's less pro war, but he still did a lot that uh, wasn't perfect. No, Trump wasn't perfect at all. I've criticized him for a number of things, but I don't believe even killing Soleimani almost brought us to war with Iran. I don't believe that at all. And the uh, number one thing that de-escalated, again, he didn't go to war with Syria, even when the gas attacks were being blamed on Assad. So his foreign policy, he's the first president in, what is it, five decades not to start a new war. So Trump's foreign policy was overall peaceful, and we should definitely want him back in office to bring peace. I'm not even saying I'm not even saying he's not the best option, but I don't know how you can say that assassinating Iran's general was not even close to war. If they assassinated any of our generals, we'd fucking nuke them. What was their response? Did they do anything? Well, they fired some shots at our troops in Iraq. Had they killed them, that could have been Cassius Belli for a wider war. I mean, it, like, it, also the the antagonism that this has presented. Like, we now we now have them allegedly arming Hezbollah and Hamas. 
in against Israel. So like I, I'm not at all certain that this hasn't added to the the fire as opposed to decreasing it. But I I, I appreciate your perspective. I'm I, I will grant you that Donald Trump is the most anti-war president in my lifetime. Just the bar is so fucking low. I can barely yeah. see it. <laughs> yeah right he i agree he's the most anti-war president but exactly he's still done you know he bombed syria luckily he didn't full-on overthrow assad which they were trying to force him to do with a fake gas attack and i'm glad a lot of people are realizing the gas attack was fake now but yeah he's the best option but he's he's still not perfect yeah. unfortunately um i have somewhere i have to be in the next two minutes so i'm gonna have to bounce but great sure. talking to you guys you guys can continue if you want but i'm gonna have to uh get out of this chat you're a legend jay thank, thank, thank you for, so joining much us. for joining us where can people find you where can people follow you um Twitter, Jake Shields, AJJ. I'm on Instagram, just Jake Shields. Um, I just don't po talk politics on Instagram, but people are arguing politics in my uh, in my pictures, which is kind of annoying. So don't do that if you're going to follow me there. <laughs> Absolutely. Jake, thank you so much for coming on. Sorry for the technical difficulties in the beginning. And thank you so much for yeah. having us on this particular yeah, show. It really means a lot. And uh, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah, it was another half an hour, but unfortunately that took a little bit. So have a good one. Yeah. Great talking, guys. Peace Absolutely. out, Jim. Yeah, we had to have like a... We had to have like a freaking emergency session where <laughs> I had to turn on a, a second laptop because uh, the first laptop, I don't know, just went full retard and it was fucking <laughs> shit up. And it, it just wasn't, I, I don't know what the hell happened. Everything was smooth. Everything was fine. We were about to bring you guys in. And then just the whole audio board just went fucking nuts. So apologies for all the people who are watching on the wrong link. This is the right link. Um, I think we're going to try to close it off soon here. Um, any other kind of statements? It seemed, Andrew, like you guys agreed on way too much. You guys agreed <laughs> on everything. Like, what did? It, there's no disagreements there. You're, no. you're like, hey, let's do this debate. And I'm like, where's the debate? We all agree. We don't want war. We don't want uh, bombing of children. We don't want more hatred towards Muslims or Jews. We all just want to de-escalate this, this situation. There are some shitheads around shore, but I don't think anyone a part of this conversation was a shithead. I think we definitely had more of a debate the last time we, we did a live stream between Ryan Black and, and Clint Russell. Uh, but but this wasn't that big of a debate. Well, Andrew, Andrew, I have one one question for you that is contentious. You said that that top lobster should grow up because he's disturbed by the uh, I, I don't know what it's called, but like after the circumcision, they they do the baby thing. Uh, and you said you said that that's like anti set. What, what what did you say? It, like I I have to get your explanation for this because I was so confused by it. You're gonna have to quote me or tell me exactly what you want me to answer. I don't know what I you're asking. I don't. I don't have it in front of me, man. But it's the after the circumcision. They the um is it called the moil? I don't know what it, the the term. What's is. your What's your question? What's your question? Do you Do you think that's that's like an acceptable practice? Because it does kind of bother me if I'm being totally honest. I mean, the idea of circumcision in the first place. It doesn't sound strange to you that they're cutting oh, part of. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure it does, and yet. That is a covenant from God. So if you believe in God, if you un if you more than believe, if you know God, if you understand God's covenant, then no, circumcision is not strange. And the people that are trying to sexualize circumcision, uh, that's nonsense. It's, it's not sexual uh, to, to do a circumcision. That's weird. That's a weird well, uh, I, I don't think I don't think the issue was the circumcision being sexual as much as them putting it in the in their own mouth. And I think that that is that is unusual. I grant you it's a cultural difference and I won't I won't pass harsh judgment other than to say I think it's strange. That's all. It is strange. What are you talking about? It is okay, okay. I'm just making sure we're on the same page here. Save the penis. Save the foreskin of, of all children. Stop chopping <laughs> it off. Again, I don't understand why people do it. I, I think circumcision is absolutely ridiculous in my own opinion. And uh, I think it's fucked up.
Well, uh, are you a Christian? Are you a Jew, Luke? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, re- I'm, I'm religious, but I don't like to talk about my religion because I find it extremely divisive. But I do believe in a higher power above me, and I do believe that we do need to live righteous lives. So I'll just leave it at that uh, w- without trying to get into this larger kind of debate right. here. But I do find it very cruel, very unusual, and a, ma- a modern kind of in- invention of, of individuals. If you look at like the way that it's been kind of introduced, the way it's been, it's been done, it's just fucking horrific. It's fucked up, in my opinion. Eh, I'm sure you wouldn't have liked the animal sacrifices at the temple. There's yeah. lots of stuff that, uh, you know, it's, it seems strange to you. But if if you don't understand the purpose, if you're not connected to God like that, if, if you're not seeing the, the blessing or how it works, then, yeah, of course, you'd be like, what the heck is this? But if you connect to God, then uh, then you would get it. And as you don't were saying, before, don't cut off the stencil. <laughs> the thing that you were saying uh, earlier about the um, the machines like. Uh, Oh, we're going to do this connection, and all of a sudden, all the machines are breaking. Your laptop is breaking. Bro, you know how many times I was going to do a stream, like a big stream with a big guest, and all of a sudden, like all the machinery is not working. I don't know that it's like the deep state messing with our machinery, or if it's like literally Satan, the force of Satan that said, uh, you know, controls the airwaves, that tries to stop us from bringing peace and saying words of God to a big audience. I'm telling you, I've experienced that many times. And I was talking about the Zohar on this stream, literally the Holy Grail. You can look up the Catholic encyclopedia, what it says about the Holy Grail. Do some research. And you'll find so, out. It's so literally so you've, been telling me, you've been telling me about the Zohar for a while. You gave me a little Zohar book. And, and is, it, is it Kabbalah? Is it Kabbalah light? Um, what, what is it for the people who, who don't understand what it is? So Kabbalah means to receive. Kabbalah is the study of the Sod. The secrets of the Torah. There's four levels of Torah study. So top lobster, not everything uh, that you read in esoteric Torah study is literal. The sages of the Torah say it'd be better if somebody wasn't born than to take everything uh, literally when you're studying the Torah. There's four levels. The acronym is PARDES. And the the deepest level of uh, the study, so the secrets, is Kabbalah. This book, the Zohar, this is the primary text of Kabbalah. This is literally the soul of the Torah, the soul of the Bible. And the Catholic Encyclopedia, if you look up what it says about the Holy Grail and you do some research, you'll find this book is literally the Holy Grail. Like the whole legend of King Arthur and Camelot, all that stuff comes out of an encoded story about this. And I could talk about that for hours and hours. But yeah. well, what do you I, take I, from like people criticizing the Kabbalah, saying that it's black magic, saying that it's playing in the occult world, saying that there's some negative content, um, like comments surrounding it specifically when it comes to it being accused of being sacrilegious? So the Zohar is like an encyclopedia of knowledge in addition to it being a connection to God. There's a lot of stuff in there. For example, it said that the Does world it tell is around... you to like summon spirits to attack your enemies because we got a comment here by Elon Zo Musk who says this ish tells you how to summon spirits to attack your enemies. Is that true? I haven't read all 23 books yet. It's possible, I doubt it, but I will say this. There's a lot in there including uh, descriptions of black magic that people like Alistair Crawley, uh, the the occultists, they spell Kabbalah with the Q. 
for some reason. Like they try and use the wisdom that's in here to do uh, dark magic or negativity. So yeah, you could say, oh, Kabbalah, it's it's uh it's this this horrible thing that these people well, they're using the knowledge to do something evil, but that's like saying that um, you know, we should take away all the guns because guns can only be used for evil. No, you could use a gun to hunt a deer, or you could use it to do evil. The Zohar. You can use it to connect to God, or you could try and take uh, some of the information in there and do evil, like Aleister Crowley or whoever. But that doesn't make the book. This this book is literally the Holy Grail. I kid you not. So well, I, I agree. I, I, I agree. I agree with you that it's, it shouldn't be banned or anything. But if you have looked at Madonna pre and post uh, Kabbalah, she has become a demon. So everybody, be careful. That's all I'm going to say. I think Madonna, a succubi. A succubi is a more fair uh, <laughs> representation of what she Madonna, is. Madonna. Hold up. Madonna literally studies at the same exact place that I study. But then in her personal life, she goes and does satanic rituals at the Super Bowl. So just because somebody could uh, study where I study, even read the same Zohar, in my life, I pray on Shabbat. I connect to God. I do good deeds. Madonna goes and does a satanic ritual at the Super Bowl. So, you know, you could go to the same Catholic church and then apply what you're doing very differently to your life. That's not sure. a knock on the Catholic Church. It, or, it was a joke. It was a joke. Zohar or anything like that. I was just making it a joke that she looks like a monster now. That's all. <laughs> I like I like the the tweet that went viral. It's like who would have ever guessed that like like Roseanne Barr looks better than Madonna now? Like that like shocker. Like if you told people that in the nineties, dude, Roseanne is a smoke show compared to Madonna. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Real Red uh, Akon has a has an interesting comment here saying, yeah, the priest class do magic. Is there any kind of magic involved here? What's your understanding? Because a lot of people have a very kind of weird interpretation of magic, especially when it comes to the, the spiritual aspect, the occult aspect. I don't know if you want to get into any of this. No, stuff. I don't mind. That's how I don't a lot mind. of people, don't don't mind. Lot so of people I'm, I'm wearing this. This is a, a red string bracelet. Like Tucker Carlson wears one of these and people accuse, ah, he's in some kind of secret society. This red string we wrap it around the tomb of Rachel, of Rachel in Bethlehem, and we do a prayer uh, while we're doing it, a prayer to God. And the point of it is to prevent evil eye. Evil eye is real. People can look at you with negative intention and put bad energy on you. It's real. This, uh, we do a blessing to prevent uh, people's evil eye. So that's what that is. So when you say, oh, you do magic, I mean, any any type of prayer to God, you can look at it and say, oh, that's uh, that's magic. You know, a lot of times... In, uh, in fantasy writing, you know, they compare people that uh, do prayers or whatever to some type of magician. It's just that that's what it is. When you're connecting to God and you're praying, it's technology that's beyond our understanding. It's 20th, 7th century technology or whatever. It's just it's a little beyond us. But like in the Zohar, it, in the Zohar, it talks about uh, the 10 dimensions to reality. Quantum physics just discovered they exist a few decades ago. The 10 dimensions of reality. The Zohar has the name for them. Keter Hochma Bina Malchut. These are the ten he wrote, the ten dimensions of reality. Names of them, this book is 2,000 years old. Quantum physics just discovered it. So prayer, uh, connecting to God, it can seem like magic to people that don't understand. And one other thing I want to say, it's so funny. We were talking about how you apply this to your life. Is like it's very it, it can give, give different outcomes. Roseanne Barr also studies this exact same Zohar. So look how Madonna turned out. Look how Roseanne turned out. Roseanne is, is against war. Roseanne says good messages. And look how she's doing. She's she's luminous. She's filled with light. Madonna goes and does satanic rituals. Not going to go so good for her. So they're studying the same Zohar. And look, how, look at the results being so wildly different. 
So, so tell us all the Jewish secrets now, Andrew. Let them out. Let us know what we should <laughs> know right. when it comes to. Don't right. don't curse me, bro. <laughs> I like that. Okay, so I stopped lobster or his commenters a few times. Also, uh, hold on. This is a uh, from a class called Unredacting Jesus. Stuff that the Catholic Church doesn't want you to know that a lot of uh, rabbis will call you a heretic, perhaps, and or don't want you to know. But uh, this is what the Kabbalist Moshe David Valley uh, said about the section in the Talmud about Jesus. You ask for all the secrets. I'm going to give you some secrets. Okay. This is Moshe David Valley. This is a book uh, by the Ari. The Ari is... Uh, universally recognized as a Sadiq, a great rabbi, the Ari. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm saying wrong. What am I saying the Ari? The, the Ram Paul. I got, I got myself confused. Ah. The Ram Paul, uh, a great Sadiq, universally recognized. The Ram Paul, Moshe David Valley is his most prominent student, okay? So I'm not quoting you some obscure sect or some obscure person. This is the number one student of the Ram Paul, Moshe David Valley. And this is what he said about the Talmud and uh, the section in it about Jesus. He said... There was a whole fabrication about the danger of the teachings of that man, Jesus. It was created with false dogmas, and it was done in a repugnant manner. Through him, a lot of nations were going to know God, and now we have to fix those mistakes. So this, when I say that um, the Talmud, the, the quotes are false, that's true, except that section where it talks about Jesus. Those are in the Talmud. Those were a corruption that were added later. Uh, people that say uh, Jesus is boiling in a vat and they're citing the Talmud, it should never have been added to the Talmud. Uh, that was wrong. Jesus was a righteous. He was not, he's not boiling in a vat. Wait, well, why do you say that it shouldn't have been added to the Talmud? It was a corruption that was added later. And I was just reading you Kabbalist Moshe David Valley that uh, said as much. Like, uh, I read okay. you his exact quote saying that. So, so it wasn't from the original? Uh, no, no. It was, it was a corruption added later. Interesting. Okay. Any other comments, Clint? Anything else you want to say, Andrew, about um, you know the debate that we had, the conversation that we had here? I'll just say that I, I thought it was uh, you know much more um, much more like minded than I had. Uh, yeah, you guys agree expected. on everything. They're like, yeah, yeah. yeah let, let's stop the war. Let's stop killing innocent people. Let's stop hating people because they were born in a particular way. Common sense that I wish more people had online. So um, they don't, sadly. Sorry, Clint. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I think I think that's good though. I think it's a sign that. You know, someone who is, I don't know if the term is devoutly, but, uh, you know, devoutly Jewish. Um, and, and Jake, I don't know his religion, but he has been pretty devoutly on the Palestinian side of late, at least in the in the debate um, publicly, uh, that you guys could have such a, you know, an open-hearted conversation that seems to align and, and, and want the same destination point. I still, I still, uh, I, I have some disagreements as to, you know, how close we are to peace and how practical it is that Donald Trump or the GOP can ultimately bring us there. Um, but I'm I'm hopeful. <laughs> you know, I, I very much hope that you're right, because I think that our, our current trajectory is dire. And it's very important that people realize, you know, don't just because you think one side is more right or more wrong. It really at this point, it kind of doesn't matter. We need to see a ceasefire and we need to have discussions that that lead towards a sustained peace. To, to that end, one thing, and I suggested this earlier, and I think we do need to do this. Um, if you go on Twitter <clears throat> almost at any point during the day, you can find a spaces uh, with people like Suleiman Ahmed. Uh, that guy, he, he pushes propaganda. 
you know, like I didn't say to Jake, you push propaganda because he doesn't. Suleiman Ahmed uh, pushes propaganda. He doesn't want peace because when you're doing things like he does, the, the aim is not peace. OK, so there needs to be a Twitter space regularly where people can have conversation where the, the aim is towards peace. You know, if we are change, we need to change people's minds towards peace. So I think an ongoing space, a regular space with with Luke and me, Jake, Cassandra Fairbanks, Owen Benjamin, people that actually want peace. The more we can bring people into a conversation like that, then we will affect people and bring peace. If the only spaces going on right now are Suleiman Ahmed or Nick Fuentes, people that like they they're not loving, their aim is towards uh, more hatred, then we're not going to get towards peace or love. We're going to get towards hatred and war. So we need more spaces where we're having conversations like this. This is what can change things. And we have to work for it. It's not going to come for free. And it might not be as uh, profitable as a, a rumble stream. But spaces are what we need to build the pro-peace movement. Someone in the comment section right now on Rumble said, no hummus, no peas. And I absolutely agree <laughs> with that larger sentiment here. And uh, I, I think the situation that we're in is absolutely ridiculous. This is going to be a conversation that we're going to continue having here on rumble.com forward slash we are change. If you're watching right now, subscribe. We are going to be going live with some very interesting canceled censored voices here on this particular platform. I'm learning how to go live through my phone. So if there's a big event, if there's a protest, if there's a demonstration, we will be going live on the ground, just like I used to many many years ago from riot and protest zones all over the world we have officially partnered with rumble we thank them for putting us on the front front page we have a lot of very exciting things that we're going to be bringing your way here on this particular platform we're sorry for the technical difficulties earlier on i'm going to make sure i, I, I take this computer i'm going to, I'm going to bash it or get some fucking wall because it's retarded i don't know what the fuck happened i'm still pissed off because this this was supposed to be a conversation with a lot of uh, videos with a lot of articles with a lot of photos we weren't able to do that. We did an emergency broadcast through StreamYard. So uh, expect the quality of these streams to go up. Expect the conversations to get spicier, to get crazier. I think there's going to be a lot of very heated uh, debates coming on this particular channel. And of course, we're also going to have people who sign up to LukeUnfiltered.com be able to call into this broadcast, ask questions to the guests we have here. We're going to have Vivek Ravaswamy here. We're going to have a lot of other big big names here on this particular broadcast, all available here on this particular Rumble channel. So subscribe, click the notification button. I just want to remind people, again, no hummus, no peace. Uh, Andrew, where can people find you? And um, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you, bro. Um, you can find me on twitter.com slash the Andrew Meyer. Uh, my website is linked in my bio. I've got some pretty good articles. Uh, you can read my book for free on my website. Don't tase me, bro. Real questions, fake news, and my life is a meme. I am a fantastic writer. I'm not just saying that because I wrote uh, this book. I'm saying it because you'll enjoy it. And you can buy it on Amazon. That's linked in my uh, Twitter. Or you can read it for free on my website. I don't care. I just want to get good messages out there. I want peace. And, uh, you know, Luke, I'm glad you're going to be doing more spicy debates, but uh, please have more peacemakers on. And uh, I don't know if you're going to find a Jew talking about peace more than me. So uh, maybe we should do it again sometime, brother. Absolutely. Clint, where can people find you? 
at Liberty Lockpot on X. If you follow or if you subscribe to me, I'll follow you back. Uh, 110,000 of you over there. Thank you so much for following. Liberty Lockdown on Instagram. Liberty Lockdown is the show. It's on YouTube, Rumble, everywhere else. And I am also the co-host of Tower Gang. And I will be right here with Luke three days a week. And I cannot wait. He is not lying. The lineup is going to be insane. Make sure you hit that subscription button right now. Yeah, we have some crazy people lined up. We have some wild conversations lined up. I'm all here for it, and I agree with Andrew. We need to, of course, talk about peace, talk about de-escalation, and the more we do, the bigger chance that we actually have of some kind of small semblance and chance of it. But before then, shit's going to get crazy, and it's only going to get crazier from here. For So strap on your bootstraps because shit's going to get fucked up. But at least you will know what's happening from a raw, unfiltered, unedited, real perspective that, of course, you will not get on the corporate media. We love you guys. Stay tuned for more here on rumble.com forward slash we are change. Boom.